My name is Trip Gorman, and in this episode of SME VC, I sit down with Myron Sandoval, the CEO and co-founder of One Car Now. This episode is particularly special because I am a pre-seed investor in One Car Now. They offer car subscriptions for underbanked gig workers in Latin America. And I invested in One Car Now because there are 10 million couriers in Latin America. And while the average food or grocery courier using only a motorcycle earns only about $480 per month, if they had access to a car to be an Uber or DD driver, their average income would triple to $1,530 per month. But the current process of getting cars as an underbanked gig worker is slow. And with low approval rates, slow processes, and high initial costs, it's often prohibitively expensive and impossible. So it's no surprise that Myron and his team at One Car Now are seeing massive growth. In this episode, we discussed One Car Now's new partnership with Didi, how One Car Now is solving gig workers' problems in an unprecedented way, why Myron chose Mexico City to build One Car Now, and how user feedback has improved One Car Now's offerings. We discussed all this and more in this special episode of Samia VC. Myron, could you start by telling the audience a little bit more about your work history up to and including your current role founding One Car Now? Sure. Well, thanks for having me in the first place, uh, Trip. You know, we have something in common, and that is that we are young founders. And uh, I always say this because I met Manuel in school, which is the co-founder of Who is the co-founder of One Car Now. And this is our second project working together, actually. So essentially, our project, a first project was a creative lab in which we incubated and then commercialized tech products at larger scale in big retail brands such as Best Buy, Walmart, and, and Radio Shack that still exists here in Mexico. So after this experience, uh, we got acquired by a family office. It was a very small position, but still, I mean, it was free revenue, so it, it was a good return for us. After this experience, Manuel, he's the tech founder in the team, and he launched a software to administrate properties on Airbnb and myself. Uh, I knew that nobody was using their cars during the pandemic. So I would go to any person I, I know, for, for example, youth trip, and I would say, look, out of the car that is depreciating, that you have to cover the cost of insurance and maintenance, we can be getting $400, $500, $600 a month if we put that car into a subscription service in the informal car rental market of the gig economy. So essentially, uh, in less than three months, I used to manage more than 50 subscriptions at a certain point. And this made me realize the huge lack of accessibility to car financing products for gig workers, which not only limits gig workers' access to generate more income, but it also limits right-handing companies to have access to new markets. And the reason I say this, and, now we're gonna, and I know that we're going to get into that in a second, is that car subscriptions are actually very different in developed economies such as the US and countries in Europe and Asia than what they are in emerging economies. Because for instance, car subscriptions are in the US are really about improving the process of acquiring a vehicle, you know, getting, getting rid of the car salesman, getting rid of the car dealership, and just improving the experience, to be honest. Whereas in Latin America and other developing, developing economies such as the MENA region, Southeast Asia, Eastern Europe, Car subscriptions are really about improving accessibility in the first place, and then complementing that accessibility with the all-included subscriptions or all-inclusive subscription service. So it not only limits the gig worker in their capacity to generate income, but it also limits right-wing companies because if they enter a market where cars, where cars are not available for right-hailing workers, I mean, that's a big problem, right? Because they cannot grow. So during this experience, I realized a market with millions of right-feeling workers in the region and not a single player with more than 1% of 
we, in terms of market share. Just yesterday, I was speaking with Matt uh, Bryan, who used to be the CFO at Uber in Latin America, and he was telling me, look, there was a certain point that Uber, more than 60% of all the cars in Uber were not owned by the drivers, right? They, they were rentals. And now that number, according to Didi, is over 75%. So it's a big problem because it means that all gig workers are renting cars either in the formal market or even worse, loan sharks, right? So there is a big problem with accessibility there. Yeah, definitely. And that's what we're doing with OneCarNow. Myron, could you tell the audience a little bit more about how OneCarNow is revolutionizing the answer to this problem of gig workers needing cars and how you guys are doing it differently? Yeah, definitely. I'm going to start with the, the way drivers do it nowadays because that's a very important starting point. So essentially, once a person wants to start driving the gig economy or driving as a right hitter, they're usually going to start being a delivery driver or a courier at Rappi and Uber Eats. What we're seeing now is that a gig worker that has access to vehicles can triple their monthly earnings compared to being a delivery driver at, or last mile delivery driver at Rappi or Uber Eats. So essentially, it's a major life-changing event for them. So what we do at Agonker now is provide easy access to working capital with the initial process, which takes less than 90 minutes for us to be able to underwrite a loan without any friction in the process. And essentially, we're not only focused on improving, you know, give workers access to generating more income, but we're also committed to improve mobility services. And it is why we have a focus only on brand new cars, because we want to help right-handed companies improve their services in both brand image for also user experience. And the most important part is that through the 36-month subscription, we are going to have a regulatory compliant car meaning that in exchange of a weekly fee, we're going to cover insurance, maintenance, tires, taxes, repairs, and pretty much any other long-term costs that acquiring a car involves for the long-term, right? So essentially at one point now, what we have is a zero down payment policy, no need of credit score or co-signer, meaning that we eliminate all entry barriers for gig workers, because what we're going to do is rely on work performance analysis based on right healing that over time to determine eligibility to our service. So essentially, we're going to establish certain metrics in terms of amount of rides you're driving, the average, the average weighted score they have on the mini platform they drive. And I always say this, and this is something many people don't agree with me. When you are targeting a what's considered to be a subprime market, what needs to change, yes, of course, is the way you manage risk at the beginning, how you profile risk at the beginning, but mostly how do you manage these loans? So essentially what we've done at Wonker now is develop a type of payroll deduction. So essentially from the earnings generated on a weekly basis by the driver, we get to collect Wonker now weekly payment. And it is why we're so confident that our drivers are going to be able to pay because the only way they, you know, incur into default is if they stop working. But in the first place, we're choosing drivers that rely 100% on the drive labor form to, you know, financially be stable. So that's that's a key point in the one car now, definitely. I want to talk more about the user experience using one car now. Could you tell us a story of users telling you a piece of feedback and how that was incorporated into the next iteration of your product offering? Yeah, definitely. So this is actually something that happened to a one car now customer or a customer that is right now a one car now subscriber. This guy was a, a and I, I don't want to speak bad of anyone, but he, he used to be a subscriber at another, another subscription company for gig workers. And this guy was very impressed. He canceled the contract that day and he was getting a car with that with one for now because he told us that, I mean, cars 
and for this specific segment of the market, doesn't only have to be a freedom or independence of, of, of financial independence, but also a mobility independence. And the reason he was saying this is that he had a personal medical issue at a time, and he took this, this car that was renting on, on this company and you know, drove, drove to, the, to the hospital. And then somebody at the, at, the, at, the, at the company called him and he was just like, you cannot park that car anywhere else inside your home because you'll get penalized. So it's like a major problem out there, right? Because if your driver has a personal emergency, he's not even able to go to the hospital to, you know, to make sure they're okay. So essentially what we're doing at OneCard now is provide not only a, a financial independence, but also a mobility independence for the gift worker because we let our customers drive their cars for both working capital, but also for personal use. This not only helps the driver to be, yeah, to have this mobility independence, but also creates a sense of ownership with the cars, which is essential. Because when you take into consideration that we are a three-year subscription, we really want to make sure that cars are being taken care of, right? And that's that the user that is using those cars, you know, is taking care of the vehicles. And, and, and thus, you know, we have a better fleet, which, which is very important for one for now. That's an excellent example of a problem that you've solved for someone else. Uh, but now I'd be interested to know how you solved a problem in your own journey founding one car now. What's an example of a problem that you guys encountered and how did you all tackle it? Yeah, definitely. So right now, I'm sure you know, but there is a real problem in terms of supply chain. So and mostly for cars. So essentially, I mean, customers are seeing a wait list from four to eight months. So it's, it's crazy, right? The time they have to wait to get accessibility to a car. And considering that they're dependent on the, those vehicles to generate income, well, that's a big problem out there. So essentially, the lack of accessibility to supply in terms of vehicles is something that is being difficult for any car financing company out there. And the way we're doing this is, I mean, you may, you may think this is a good or bad thing, but in Mexico City and all over Mexico, more than 80% of the car dealerships are owned by a very small group of people, which is like car dealership groups, we call them. So essentially what we're doing right now is inviting many of the car dealership owners to invest in one car now and join our mission to you know, bring accessibility to give working or to give workers for one get working capital. And essentially what we're doing is negotiate with car dealerships with ultimately have the decision to who are going to sell the cars to. And uh, what we're doing is optimize the, the access we have to, to vehicles, which is to be a problem in, in, in our industry, definitely. Could you tell the audience a little bit more about your recently announced partnership with Didi? Yeah, definitely. We're really excited about that, definitely. So essentially what we do alongside Didi is create awareness about our product. And the reason we're doing this, and I was mentioning this at the beginning, right? So essentially we not only solve the lack of accessibility to car financing products for the gig worker, but we also solve the limitation of growth that right-hand companies have in emerging economies. So essentially what we do alongside Didi is that every time one for now has availability of cars, what we're gonna do is essentially knock Didi's door, Cabify door that we also have a partnership with and we're gonna say, look, we have 10, 100 cars. We need customers for them, right? So what we do alongside them is create awareness about what Wonker now offers to the market. And then we re get referrals by, the, by Didi. So essentially right now we're working on a very exciting project. We're gonna be 
working in DD's offices to get referrals directly and have a direct contact to customers. So we're really excited about that. And I think it's going to be a great outcome for both gig workers, but also for one for now. I love that. Myron, I'd be interested to know, why did you pick Mexico City specifically to found OneCardNow? And inside your answer, I'd love to hear your experiences as being a part of the tech ecosystem that is Mexico City in 2022. Yeah, definitely. No, we're really excited to be here. Uh, this is actually something very interesting because we've always say that there are more than 10 cities with over a million uh, people in population in, Mex in Mexico. And there is literally no other car subscription or car financing company that is offered accessibility to gig workers. So essentially everybody is ignoring a market inside, uh, I mean, other cities or urban areas in Mexico, other than Mexico City, that everybody is ignoring, right? And essentially that's her plans for growth at one for now. So essentially we, we, we pick one for, sorry, Mexico City, because to be honest, there is a massive market opportunity here in the city. Approval rate for car financing for, for gig worker is below 4%. Nationally is, I mean, below 3%, which is a big problem. So essentially what we're trying to do is establish a new market that has a huge demand or huge, better said, huge necessity for cars uh, to, you know, grow the right-handed services. And we also think that is a great starting point to prove a lot of uh, hypotheses that we have around the service and around the model. As you may know, we're also running the electric vehicle component. So we are also about to launch that at par with Didi as well. So I think it's a great environment to be. And uh, yeah, we're really excited to, to start, you know, getting, getting our offer out there in the market in Mexico City initially. How did you go about funding for One Car Now? And what did you look for an investor or, or a funding source? Right, so I always say this in a, in a different way. Look, as we're a car subscription startup, I think others, other successful business models have, or in the past have employed that in the acquisition of each vehicle. So essentially uh, the first step of course as a car subscription startup is when we acquire a car. Cars in our, are in our balance. And essentially what we're gonna do is we make a 15% equity investment on each car acquisition, and then we leverage the other 85%. And I know that you know this trip, uh, we're a capital efficient company. We reached operational break even last month, uh, meaning that we're not sacrificing growth to reach or to have a clear path to profitability. And what we're doing essentially is employ both things, the debt facility, and we complement car acquisitions with a small investment from one pronounced equity capital, let's say. So essentially, that's the way we fund one for now. And that's a very successful strategy that our companies have used in the past to fund their customers or the, their, the acquisitions of vehicles. Could you tell the audience about a problem you are solving at one car now right now? Yeah, definitely. So it's actually a, a, a good problem to, to have. But after we partnered with Didi, I mean, Didi is the second almost largest right-hand company in Mexico City. And it was just like amazing how much interest was for one Cornell services. And I suppose that any other car subscription out there is having the same problem, which is a good problem, to be honest. But the thing is that as a company, you really have to be careful on how do you manage a big demand? Because, I mean, let's remember, if you have 4,000 people knocking your door and requesting the service, and then you have the availability to supply just 100 cars, I mean, that's a big problem, right? Because they're going to have a lot of people, I mean, mad at you because you're not going to be able to supply, I mean, what they need to generate income. So I think what we're doing here at OneCore now is two things. 
essentially working very closely with Didi on how do we acquire customers and how, to mu how much customers we want to reach at least right now in an early stage. And then, and very important, I think, for any company out there, how do you manage such a high demand? Because to be honest, we've seen many companies struggle, and not only now, but in the past, with, with having a lot of people, a lot of demand out there and not being able to, to supply. And even though many companies have, have that capacity to supply, they, mo they, they end up sacrificing like customer experience, right? So we think that we have to be very careful, and this is something we're dealing as for right now, very careful in the relationship we have with, with the potential customers, but also current customers at one point now without sacrificing, you know, you know like the, the, the user experience in, in the end. You're certainly right. That is not a bad problem to have. Okay, so finally, I have to ask Peter Thiel's famous contrarian question but with a uniquely Samia VC twist. What important truth about Mexico or Latin America do very few people agree with you on? I was just saying this in the beginning. Look, when you enter a market that is considered to be a subprime market, what needs to change, yes, is how do you manage risk at the beginning, but mostly how do you need to see the subscription or the loan management throughout the cycle of the, of the subscription, in this case, or the loan overall. So essentially, I'm seeing a lot of fintech companies just worrying a lot about how they manage risk at the beginning, and then they follow the same exact, or yeah, loan tape management throughout the cycle of the loans. And I think there's a big problem there because what needs to be changed is not only how you execute underwrite loans, but mostly how do you manage risk once you give that loan to the person or to the, to the customer, right? I think that is something that has to evolve because it, it limits many fintechs out there in their capacity to, to underwrite more. And, and I know that the market is, I'm not saying that people just, should, or companies should just go out there and start you know, giving loans to anyone. I, I just think that there's a lot to learn in that American ecosystem in the market, because you have to take into consideration that when the subprime or what is considered to be subprime is the majority of the population, at least in, in developed economies, you really are the one, or the companies are the ones that have to adapt, not the other way around. Now the people have to, uh, the, to, to adapt to the company's, uh, let's say, metrics, right? So that, that's essentially a big part that many people don't agree with me. <laughs> Myron, I love it. Thank you so much for taking the time to come on the Samia VC podcast today. I very much appreciate your time. Thank you, Trip. Thanks for having me. Thank you for watching this episode of Samia VC. My name is Trip Gorman. Don't forget to like and subscribe wherever you view the podcast. And don't forget to check out our newsletter, DealFlow LA, which can be found by going to dealflow.la.